Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. And today I want to talk about stories. Uh, stories are important in every single culture, and it has to do with the way that our brains work. Naturally, our brains, when we're not doing anything else, go into storytelling mode. And storytelling is, is so important for who we become as people. Um, my father-in-law, Paul, you know, he just, he just got done writing a, a little book working on telling stories from his childhood. There's like some pretty legendary stories that shape who he is and that have shaped like his family, even to this day, that get retold from uh, more than 50 years ago. Uh, stories about him driving the tractor as a little boy. I'm sure he's, I know he's used that as like a sermon illustration. Uh, it gets shared at least four or five times a year. And it's just this legendary story that gets told and retold over and over again because it shaped and influenced who he is as a person and it's continued to shape and influence his family. And that's what, that's what stories do, right? That narratives shape us. The stories that we tell about ourselves, that we tell about the people around us, about those people over there and about the world, they shape how we see ourselves. And so like narratives these stories, they have a real effect on who we become. They form us. The stories that we tell about ourselves and that, and that are told about us shape and determine who we become as people. And so then there's like these overarching narratives, these like big picture stories that get told that really influence the decisions that we make and influence who we become. There's a big overarching narrative right now that's going around, that's been around for a while, and it's that our nation is in decline. You know, Donald Trump was really able to capitalize that in 2016 to win the election. He really advanced that narrative strongly. Fox News has done a fantastic job at putting out this idea and furthering this overarching narrative that our nation's in decline. I don't, is that true or not? I don't know. It's not for me to just say, if we look at like divorce rates from the 1950s, you know, divorce is up. If we look at divorce rates from 1990, divorce rates are down. Uh, every year since 1990, violent crime has gone down, except for two years under President Trump. What does that mean? I don't know. But there's this story, right? There's this overarching story that says our nation is in decline. And then usually the people furthering this story have some sort of agenda to like try to get into power, right? But what we have to see is that these narratives, what, what narrative are people putting out and how is this narrative affecting us as people? And so we're going to be looking at a new sermon series. We're going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah because what Jeremiah is, is he is a, a prophet who puts forward a counterculture narrative. There is a, a firm set of beliefs that the people hold that Jeremiah, he receives a message from God, and God says, no, your narrative is wrong. Here is Jeremiah presenting the true narrative that I want you to believe. So let's open up Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Here's what it says. It says, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, 
to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. You guys got that, right? That was verse 1 to 3. You guys understand that. We can move on. But why does it have all these king, these names of kings and this 13th year of his reign and this other king, his son, and whatever, and his 11th year of his reign? What this is really trying to do is that Jeremiah lived in a specific time and place. And he offered, and, and, and in this specific time and place, he offered a countercultural narrative. When it talks about the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, that's the year 627 BC. We know when that year, we know when King Josiah was king, and we know, okay, that this is 627 BC. And then it jumps down to King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, and the end of the 11th year of his reign, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month, this is this captivity carried off into Babylon happened in August 587 BC. So what we see, like this is a lot, right? I get that. The important thing to know is that Jeremiah was a prophet for about 40 years. For 40 years, Jeremiah was this prophet of the Lord. Then it goes into verse four. Let's continue on. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. So Jeremiah, you know, he's going to be a prophet for 40 years, but here in 627 when he's called, he is probably 15 years old. He's not yet 20. Most scholars think he is not yet 20 years old. He's probably... The, the Hebrew word here for boy can mean baby. It can mean young man. It can mean just that boy. It probably, it's somebody unmarried. And so he's probably not yet 20. He's probably in his teens still. And so, and God gives him this message saying like, you're going to go to all that I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. And so Jeremiah, he has this message. He has this countercultural narrative that he must share with the people. God is saying, I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you the words. I've put them in your mouth and your job is to share them. If we were to read on uh, verse 17, God tells Jeremiah, but you gird up your loins, stand up, tell them everything that I command you. Do not break down before them or I will break you. And I I like that verse because here's this idea, right? That God has placed this message into Jeremiah and Jeremiah must speak it. He has to speak it and don't break down before the people or God's going to break him down. And what's that look like? Well, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine, uh, Jeremiah says, you know, if, if I say that I'm not going to mention the name of the Lord, well, then 
if I don't do it, it's it's like a fire burning up in my bones, and I have to speak it. So that's what it's like. It's not like some sort of negative thing where Jeremiah's like, oh, well, I have to do this because God says. No, he has to do it because it's this passion that God has placed into him. And this message that he's been given, this countercultural narrative, he's going to be persecuted for it. We're going to see this over the next several months. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be thrown in jail. He's going to be thrown into a well, and he's going to sink into mud up to his armpits. And he had this message to share that came from God. And he knows he's going to be persecuted. How many of us would be faithful under the same persecution? But Jeremiah, his faithfulness, it comes from God. God says, I've done this. I have. You're going to go to all that I'm going to send you. And you're going to speak whatever I command you. And don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And so Jeremiah, he has this specific message that he has to trust God with because God's going to deliver him and God's going to provide him the way to do this. How many of us would be faithful knowing that we're going to be beaten, that we're going to be thrown in jail? But what is this message that Jeremiah has? Like when we tell a story, there's specific like narrative elements to it. There's like this overarching narrative and then there's a there's specific elements to Jeremiah's message. And so that's what I want to close with. I want to close by covering just a couple of these narrative elements. The first one is the Hebrew word shup. Shup means to turn away. Jeremiah uses this word 111 times. Uh, the next he uses it more than any other book in the Old Testament. The second highest is Psalms using it some like 77 times. And the average across the whole Old Testament is about 20-ish times. So the fact that Jeremiah uses the word shoop to turn away 111 times should stand out to us. And really, so part of God's message to the people is God through Jeremiah, he wants the people to turn away from their false narratives and to God. I want to show this, right? Because oftentimes we can think that, that what a prophet does is a prophet predicts the future. That's not quite right. A prophet isn't here to predict the future. They're here to tell the truth. And so what we're going to see, if you want to flip down Jeremiah chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. But we're going to see that this is the this is the first time that Jeremiah goes to Jerusalem after God calls him. And he starts telling the people the truth about who they are. This is Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 3. Excuse me. Jeremiah chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. It says, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? See, this is a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. This is a law that's talked about. I think it's in chapter 24. You can go check it. But what it says is that if a man divorces his wife and she goes off and gets married, he can't then come back and say, oh no, now you got to be married to me again. That's not the way it works. That's not fair to her. It's not fair to her new husband. And so he's saying that, the Deuteronomy says it's impossible for her to leave this new husband to come back to the old husband. Jeremiah goes on, Would not such a land be greatly polluted? You have prostituted yourself with many lovers, and would you return to me, says the Lord? Look up to the bare heights and see where you have not, where you have not been lain with. By the waysides you sat waiting for lovers, like a nomad in the wilderness, you have polluted the land with your prostitutions 
and wickedness. All right, what's Jeremiah talking about here? What he's, what he's getting at is that Israel has run off with all these other gods like a prostitute, and, he, and they've been faithful, they've been unfaithful, like they, is, God is like the faithful husband whom Israel has abandoned and left and got married to. And now he's saying, can you return back to me? And the answer, the obvious answer, it's almost a rhetorical question, is like, no, of course not. Of course they can't. And yet if we read on, if we jump down to verse 7 in chapter 3, here's what it says. Um, and the Lord thought after Israel had done all of these things that she'll return to me. After she has done all this, she'll return to me. But she did not return. And her false sister Judah saw it. So God's heart here, God's hope for Israel is that they'll return back. This is where this word shoop comes in, right? That we see this after she has done this, she will shoop to me. In, in chapter three, if a man divorces his wife and she goes, will he shoot back to her? And so this is God's hope is that the people of Israel will shoot back to God. They'll return back. I think this really points us to our theme verse. I think the verse that most, that best encapsulates what Jeremiah is trying to communicate is chapter six of verse 16. Here's what it says. It says, stand at or the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Seek the ancient paths. Ask for those ancient ways and walk in them where you find rest for your souls. But the people said, no, no, we will not. We will not walk in those way, in those paths. And this is the countercultural narrative that Jeremiah is putting out. He's saying, there is an ancient way that you need to return to, to turn back to, to shoop towards. Find it, and there you'll find rest for your souls. I heard uh, somebody, a good friend of mine, say to me recently, um, sobriety gave me what drugs and alcohol promised me. And I think that's so like so good for what Jeremiah is trying to, trying to say here, because Yahweh is trying to give to the people what these false gods have promised to them. Uh, there's this countercultural narrative that Jeremiah is putting out. He's saying, God can give you what your false narratives promised you. But did the people listen? No. No, they don't listen. They say, we're not going to walk in those paths. So what's the repercussions of not walking in these paths? So if we jump back up, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, what we're going to see is that there's two set of metaphors that get used. There's negative metaphors and there's positive metaphors. Here's Jeremiah 1.10. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so there's these negative, negative metaphors, pluck up, pull down, um, destroy, overthrow. And there's the positive metaphors, build up, plant. There's twice as many negative as positive. And we have to understand these metaphors to understand Jerusalem, to understand Jeremiah. So if, if think about it like this, right? If I needed to build a new house, right? If my house was crumbling and falling down and I needed to build a new house, 
I can't start construction until the old house is gone. I have to tear down what's there to rebuild something new. And Jesus talked about this, right? Jesus said, you don't put new wine into old wineskins or the old wineskins burst. If, if my foundation of my house was crumbling and I tried to build a new house on top of it, the foundation's going to collapse and I'll have wasted my time. And I think the, the order of metaphors here in, in Jeremiah is important. God needs to tear down the false narratives before he can give them his counterculture narratives. So what are Israel's false narratives? We've kind of hinted at it. We've kind of talked about it. <clears throat> if we jump over Jeremiah 6, 14, there's some false prophets who are talking. And, Jer and the Lord says that they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so what's happening is Israel is crumbling. Their foundation is broken. But these false prophets, they say, Everything's fine here. It's all good. Peace, peace. What we're going to see is eventually the book of Jeremiah comes to this point where they're going to be overthrown by Babylon. We've already seen it in the introduction. We know where the story's going, but this is a Jeremiah is a book of how did we get there? Babylon's at the gates. They're about to overthrow Jerusalem. And uh, Jeremiah, the pro as a prophet, he's saying, you need to surrender. Surrender to these people. Be carried off into exile. This is the will of God. And some of the leaders, they go, no. That's, they say, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 38.4 says, Jeremiah should be killed for discouraging the soldiers because he doesn't seek the welfare of the city, but it's harm. And Jeremiah is really telling the truth here. But the people have believed this false narrative. What they're doing is they're holding two competing narratives simultaneously, right? On the one hand, they're going, we're God's chosen people. God gave us this land. He's given us this city, so he's going to protect us. And at the same time, they're holding this other narrative that says, I also want to worship these other gods. I want to do what I want. I want God's benefit but I also want the freedom to disobey him. And for that, like, and Jeremiah calls him out on it, says, no, this isn't how it should be. You need to, you need to surrender. You need to surrender if you want to live. And I think we have our own conflicting narratives, right? We have this thing that goes, I know this is wrong, because I've learned it from here, but I'm going to do it anyways. And you have those. You have those things where you go, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it because it's what I want to do. And I think if we live in these conflicting narratives for long enough, if we, when we, when we feel that tension, we feel that weight of these conflicting narratives where I know this is wrong, but it's the thing that I'm going to do. What happens is that it puts a weight on us. It puts a burden on us. And eventually we're going we're gonna to lash out against it. We're going to lash out and we're going to find coping mechanisms. This is where addictions and hurts and hangups and habits come from. And what happens if we, if we live in, in this tension, in this conflicting narratives where where we're being shaped and pulled in two different directions 
what happens is that we normalize evil. We normalize the evil around us. And what does God want to do? God wants to pluck up and pull down and destroy and overthrow those, those false narratives that we've built up and that we've told ourselves. He wants to destroy them and he wants to plant and build repentance that leads to life inside of your life. Our theme verse for Jeremiah is chapter 6, verse 16. Stand at the crossroads and look. Seek the ancient paths and walk in them. There you will find rest for your souls. The people say, no, no, we won't walk in them. Israel has made their choice. Israel has made their choice. What will you choose? You go with me on this journey, understanding the book of Jeremiah. What choice will you choose?